Okay, um, good morning everyone, um, or good afternoon wherever you are, or good noon. Um, so this was supposed to be last night's share. I did give a share here, but I wasn't comfortable in recording. So um, for those who were here last night, um, you can listen to this again because it's far more developed. And um, thank you for coming last night and <coughs> allowed me to a little rehearsal for this. So <clears throat> we are now Erev Purim, and um, I don't know, well, first of all, tonight, uh, to, um, today's class is sponsored by <clears throat> Teferis, by um, Yaakov Kahneman, and this is in honor of his wife, Teferis Kahneman, in honor of her birthday, which is the 17th of Adar, Hashem grant her, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, good and healthy years, may together, you and her together, in good health, um, live in happiness forever and ever. As the brachas, today's days that we enter into Chayim Nitzchiyim, raise your children in good health and uh, prosperity and and may you be able to shine the light that you both bring so strongly to all those that you influence and the Hatzlach and the, your heart's desire in bringing Mashiach, as I know um, the both of you, and especially Teferis is an incredible Mashiach activists, may Hashem bless you. Um, for, for a Mashiach activist, the only blessing um, that uh, meets the, the, uh, the uh, that is satisfying is the actual coming of Mashiach. And may we see that today. Okay, thank you for that. All right. So um, I'd like to, today's class, um, draw a thread or make the connection between Purim and the current times that we're in in the shaky existence and the quivering world that we're in right now, where we need a lot of divine security and blessing. And hopefully this class will bring a sense of calmness and, and joy and uh, strength to, to people and to, to relieve anxiety. That's my uh, intention in this class to remove anxiety and to recognize that the fact that we're living and all this is that's going on right now is right during the time of Purim, in which there is an amazing lesson to all of us from various different aspects of the Megillah, which I'd like to share right now. Let's first start that the, the apropos element of the Megillah's Esther to the times that we're in right now is that we are without a question, and we, I can't um, re-emphasize this again and again and again and again, that the times that we're living right now is pre not just pre-Messianic, it is already at the entrance we are entering into the messianic era. The events that are happening in the world is the final chapter or the the last last and, and few um, moments of the world, um, you know, moving into the Geula state, into the redemptive state. Uh, why there has to be so much drama and why it has to be the way it is. There's all kinds of uh, explanations, and but we keep on praying that all these, whatever the explanations are. These are once things happen, they really, we have to try to find some kind of an explanation, but we pray that and hope that we've had enough drama and enough suffering and enough pain and we should go into the Giyula in a smooth, happy, sweet way and all the chaos should dissipate. That's our prayer. So that's not the point over here, just to give, to have the clarity, understanding and as it connects to the Purim, because the time that we're in right now is Purim, 
So this is where we take our energy, and this is really the dynamics of the cosmos is dominated by the miracle of Purim right now. So therefore, the lessons of Purim are not just lessons to us, but they are, they are the truths of what's really going on. So first of all, as I mentioned, we're living at the entrance of the, of the Giyula, and um, there is a very phenomenal teaching, which I someone mentioned in a short video, <clears throat> from the great and saintly Ramatul of Chernobyl and Sefer Lakuti Torah. There's a Sefer Lakuti Torah that Chabad is familiar with from Roshner Zalman of Liadi, but there's also Lakuti Torah from Ramatul of Chernobyl. Ramatul of Chernobyl is the second Rebbe of the Chernobyl dynasty, and um, he is actually buried in, Antik in Antikva, which is Anatekva, which is a suburb of Kiev. So, and I went to his, we went when we went a uh, special trip at our special Sefer Torah and we went there. So it's good to mention his name. Uh, let it be a protection for all the Jews in Ukraine, for all people in Ukraine. Let it be a protection. Let it be the schus of this great tzaddik. Um, um, be there, there. Uh, I think the reason he was buried in Antekva, even though he was, I think for, I remember something clearly is that there was no, every, he didn't want to be, he was very bothered by the, by the church bells. He didn't want to be with something like that. And over there it was a, for whatever reason, it was quiet and it didn't have that, that element. I don't remember exactly the story. I need to re, re, research it again. Uh, a very, 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 very saintly big tzaddik and holy yid and the great shield for the Jewish people, together with all the tzaddikim that are buried in Ukraine. In any case, one of the teachings that I that really uh, stuck to me, and I saw this a few years ago, and I saw it again this year, is that he says that the Megillah Sester, the, the, the Purim Yontiv, and particularly the reading of the Megillah, is a something that is meant to strengthen us, the Jewish people, to be able to withstand the radiance of Mashiach Tzedkenu. Amazing teaching. He says, Mashiach Tzedkenu's light is going to be so, so powerful and so strong. How are we going to be able to stand in front of Mashiach and be able to receive such radiance and such godly glow, such holiness? So in order to acclimate ourselves, to get some kind of an exercise, Mashiach exercises. So we get Mashiach light in dosages. Um, Throughout his, throughout all the Purims in our lives, every Purim when we read the Megillah, Mashiach, we experience a pre-Mashiach download, and it's not just a pre-Mashiach; it is a Mashiach download, which helps acclimate us to the radiance of Mashiach. And he says that's the lights of Mordechai Hatzadik, because Mordechai is a Bechina; he's an element of Mashiach Tzedkenu. Why? We know the sages say Mordechai menatori minayin. Where do we know Mordechai from? Where does one is where is Mordechai hinted to in the in scripture scripture? We got Megillah Sestas Parshishu, but where is he hinted to in the five books of Moshe in in Chumash? So the sages say it says Mordechai in the Pachas Kesisa, which is a few Torah portions we read a few weeks ago. It describes the eleven types. Uh, it, it describes the various different. Um, Spices that were that were used, kachlecha, to take various different spices. Um, I um, I'm I'm not sure if it was by the ketores, which is no, um, by the ketores, by the uh, which are used for the incense uh, spices that were used every day in the temple, or it was by making of the special oil. But over there, the fragrant oil, and over there it mentions the word um, mor deroyer, which means wild more. 
And the sages say that the Targum, the translator, on the word Mordoroir is Mira Dachya, which means clean or pure more. So the word Mira Dachya is the word Mordechai. That's where the sages found Mordechai in the Torah. For whatever reason it is, Mordechai is associated with fragrance, with a spice that was used to create the right perfumed oil. So now, um, and that's the connection to Mashiach, because we know that Mashiach's power is the power of scent. It says regarding Mashiach, that Mashiach is going to have the quality. It says in Isaiah and Yeshaya, when it talks about Mashiach, he's not going to judge based on the vision of his eyes, and not based on what he hears evidence. He's going to take one with, one scent, one sniff, and he immediately is going to know full truth. There's no hiding anything from Mashiach because Mashiach will see everything from its essence. That's what scent is. It's related to essence. Mashiach will see things from the inside out, not from the outside in. He doesn't need external evidence. And that's the power of the nose, the power of the scent. And Mashiach will have the, the ultimate power of scent. So Mordechai has that same energy in his name. He's associated. And therefore, he's a messianic figure. And by us reading his Megillah, Mordechai was the one who wrote it together with Esther. And even though it's called in the name of Esther, but Mordechai is also a partner with it. And when we read the Megillah's Esther, we are actually acclimating ourselves to Mashiach Tzadkenu. What a powerful teaching. And especially now, as we're holding, coming to Purim, and Mashiach is about to be revealed, let's like listen to the Megillah and absorb every holy word and take it into our bones so that we are completely refreshed. We are completely new beings to be able to receive Mashiach Tzadkenu. Notwithstanding anything that happened in the past, we should be able to re-, re um, or, or we should be able to um, morphosize completely, metamorphosize, that's what I was looking for, metamorphosize into a new being to be able to receive the powerful revelation of Mashiach Tzadkenu. Now, um, one of the very, very special teachings I saw that's very comforting is in the Megillah, after the Megillah, after we read the Megillah, we say a special song, which is the song of Shoshanas Yaakov, which means the Rose of Jacob. And it's a song we sing on Purim, which speaks about how the Jewish people, the Rose of Jacob, which is referring to Israel, the Jewish people are called the Rose. Tahal of Asamecha is, 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 is jubilant and joyous. Um, and then it says, Chuasam, one of the verses are, your, their salvation, you are for all eternity. The tikvasam and your hope, in every generation. Hashem is the generate is the it means God is the hope and the and the the uh, and the salvation of the Jewish people forever. And then we continue, and this is this is meant to demonstrate in a very very powerful way. To all that all those who hope to you, will not be ashamed, will not be embarrassed, So the miracle of Purim is coming to demonstrate that those who rely on you, those that support themselves in you, Hashem will be, you know, you will take care of them. They will not be ashamed and not be embarrassed with the one they've been hoping for. Because in other words, God will definitely come through for them. So he explains this to mean as follows, an incredible idea regarding Purim. 
And that is that when we take a look at the time of Purim, the Jewish people were spiritually in a very, very, very weak position. They were not in a high state. They were not in an elevated state. They were the lowest. It was like at the, one of the lowest moments of our history in, in terms of our observance, in terms of our connection to God. We were very, 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 we were literally in a, in a bankrupt, pathetic state in our, in our Judaism. And there was nothing left really to us spiritually. We see there when Ezra came back, a little while after that, Ezra is leading the Jewish people back to the temple, back to Israel to rebuild the second temple. Um, he was dealing with many Jews who had married, intermarried, and had non-Jew and non-Jewish wives, which is like an illustration, a similar, in a way very much similar to today, where you see so much assimilation and so much disconnect that there is in the greater element of the Jewish people. And as we turn around today and we know that we need the big miracle of Mashiach and we need the great, so in addition to what we had spoken about on, on, on Thursday night last week, that most of the, the, the non-observance and most of the, um, the uh, state of, the Jew, of, of so many Jews that are in today's days seemingly alienated from Judaism is not, uh, is not the fault of all these people. They were born into this situation. It's not like people have chosen today to abandon their Judaism. We're talking about most of the Jewish people, people that have been born without, without any Jewish education. So this cannot be held against, against them. Quite on the contrary, they're very, 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 very precious in God's eyes. Um, but in addition to that, he says, you know, um, there is, if there is one thing that there is to us, and that is that we, that even if we don't have anything to us, even if we look at ourselves and we feel ashamed with our state, with our level of holiness, with our level of commitment, with our level of connection, but beyond, but the very fact that we are, um, we, we, we're hoping to Hashem and we believe in Hashem. And uh, he says the meaning of the word, the Jewish people at that time, the one compliment and the one name they're being called by is throughout the entire Megillah, the Jewish people are called Yehudim. It's the first time in Navi in which we find that in the in scripture, in which we find the Jewish people being referred to the whole time as Yehudim, Yehudim. And why are we called, which is really the meaning of the word Jew, because Yehudim means from tribe Yehuda, and Jew is from the word Judah. And that's the name that kind of a stick to, that has stick to us as the, Ju, the Judas. Well, why are we the Judas? If we have, we come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and if we are to be named by any of the names, it's Yaakov. We're not called Abraham because we're not the exclusive children of Abraham. As we know, the uh, Arabs are also from Abraham, the children of Yeshua. We're not called Yitzchak because we're not the only children of Yitzchak. Esav and even Amalek, which Haman was a descendant, was also an, uh, a grandson of, of, of Yitzchak, even though they don't really have a internal essential connection uh, but still, their grandchildren. Yaakov is the exclusive father of the Jewish people, and that's why we are called in many times in Scripture, in 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 Chumash, we are or whatever we're called Yaakov, or we're definitely also called by Yaakov's second name, which is the name Yisrael. That's the name Bnei Yisrael, Israel. Yet in the Megillah, we're called Yehudim. Why are we called? Simply is because most of the Jews at that time were from the tribe of Yehuda, because the ten tribes were. Uh, taken away. But there are mixtures of others as well. So why Yehuda? What would be wrong of continuing to call the Jewish people Israel? And the answer is that Yisrael and Yaakov, because these are the names of the fathers of, of the patriarchs, they are a much higher name. 
Generally, we know Yisrael is a very elevated name. Yaakov is an inferior name. But even Yaakov is still very elevated because we're identified with the fathers. The name Yehuda is already one of the tribes. So it's already a much lower name. But in addition to that, the meaning of the word Yehuda, he says, is uh, the, 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 it has, on the one hand, it has God's name in it, Yud Ke Vavke, which is very, very powerful. But it has a Dalit. The Dalit is in the middle, Yehuda, almost in the middle. It's the second to the last letter. The essence of why we're called Yehuda is primarily because of the Dalit. What's the, the Dalit, the, the, the letter Dalit is the le- means dal, which means poor. When the Jewish people are in an enormously impoverished state spiritually, then we are a Dalit. And that was the story of the Megillah Esther. We were as poor as can be. We were already at the end of a 70-year period of, a, of what seemed to be godly abandonment and concealment. See, the Jewish people were spoiled. For the time when they went out of Egypt until they were sent into exile, they experienced miracles and divine, um, open divine revelation. But now they went, this is the first time they weren't used to it. So they, they, they really were broken and they were in a very, 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 very lowly state. And that's why the Dalit of the word Dal, that's who we are, poor. But in our poorness, the one thing we have, the sages say about the word Yehudim, when are we called a Jew? A Jew is someone who acknowledges God and rejects idolatry. So if there's nothing left to us other than the fact that we have a simple faith in Hashem, even if we're battered, Completely, all of our Jewish features, which which are like powerful uh, divine qualities, if all these things are wrecked and there's literally nothing left other than one idea, we identify as Jews and we feel connected to God. We feel that He is. We we admit we we acknowledge His His exclusivity and we are surrendered to Him, and we reject idolatry. That's the meaning of the word Yehuda, Hayda. So what happens is, even if we are as poor as poor can be, yet God joins his name to us. Just because of, without anything else, but the simple acknowledging, the, the simple surrender to the Eberster makes us as vessels, as, 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 as vessels that Hashem should join his name and surround us completely like the yud k vav hey in the word yehuda surrounds the dalit so at that point we're not so poor anymore and so much so that even when we are in a state of yehudim what does the verse say la yehudim oysa vikar to the jewish people one of the verses of the megillah la yehudim to the jewish people oysa oira there was light and joy, and gladness, and preciousness, or glory. What is the, what is the, what is the chiddush of here? What is the novelty? The novelty is that even la Yehudim, even when we are in a state of Yehudim, now let's understand these things. Oira is light. That means spiritual illumination. And the sages say, Ora zi to, zu Torah. Ora is Torah. 
Simcha, the sages say, is yomtif, a holiday. Sason is the mila, which is the circumcision. And Yakar is tefillin. Now, you know, let's, um, when we appreciate what these four things mean, Torah, the holidays, yomtiv, um, circumcision, and, and, and tefillin. These are such powerful lights. In addition to the actual physical mitzvah, when we when we understand and appreciate what is its its essence, what is its real power, Torah is is, is God's wisdom. Yomtiv is an illumination of Hashem. When Hashem says, you know, three times a year, come to see my face. It's the ultimate of divine revelation. Torah is divine communication. Yomtiv is divine communication. Um, bris Mila is 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 a covenant with God on the level of number eight, which represents the supernatural. Yikar is the glory of God. Hashem says, you know, you'll be my people, and the, all the nations of the world will see the tefillin on your head, and they will they will tremble before you. Now, the, the, everybody will recognize you are a godly people. So for these four things, these we would simply it requires who was given these mitzvahs the Bnei Yisrael when we went out of Egypt and we came to the giving of the Torah and we were stood at Sinai and we were a very elevated state when we can identify with who that we are not only are we Yaakov but we are even Israel we are Yisrael then Hashem can put tefillin on our head which is his his sign then Hashem can bestow his bris mila is 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 the number eight the transcendental miraculous energy upon us then god can say you're worthy to come into the base you're worthy to come see me three times a year then hashem can say i'm giving you my torah i will illumine i will share my deepest thoughts with you but when when you're in a lowly state when you're a dalid when you're poor when you've lost everything that makes you special when you don't seem to be the, the, the beautiful bride that I've once, like the Jewish people say during the time of exile, I'm dark, I'm blackened, I'm scorched from all the from all the from all the beatings and batterings of exile. And that's what the Megillah says. Not like Yisraelim, to the to people when they as long as it's one thing. All those that hope to you, all those that are still, that's all we have. We have nothing else but the fact that we are hoping to him. Then you won't be, you won't be ashamed. God will not, God forbid, dump us. For that reason is that's the Chiddush, that's the novelty. Even to Yehudim, there was all these incredible lights and all these incredible things came down to the Jewish people, even when they were Yehudim. And that's important for us right now at these last moments of exile, when we're similar to the time of Purim. When we view ourselves, we sometimes don't get the most impressive picture of ourselves. When we view our communities, when we view people around us, we can, God forbid, sometimes find all kinds of, uh, of deficiencies. And that can be disheartening. And here is what we need to remember, that we are Yehudim. We do believe we are connected. We're waiting for Hashem's miracles. And in that case, Hashem definitely will extend, protect us through these uh, turbulent times and difficult moments. And we will see the greatest light and the greatest revelation of godliness unfolding in front of our eyes. Which this leads us to um, 
to the mo- main main purpose or the main story of the Megillah. The main story of the Megillah. The one of the things that we know about um, the opening verse of the Megillah is It was in the days of Achashverosh. And the sages tell us that uh, the meaning of Ahibi Meachashverosh, it was in the days of Achashverosh, that even Achashverosh was the king of Persia, but Achashverosh also means it's referring to Hashem. Achashverosh means Misha Achris referring to God. Yes, and we're dealing with a Persian um, ruler, we're dealing with a tyrant of a king, and yet he was willing to sell off an entire people of his just because someone suggested it. And the murder of millions of Jews across, across his his under his uh, authority. So he's obviously not uh, not the best guy, and yet the Torah refers says, "What did the sages say that the word Achashverosh inside his name is hinted God's name, Achris Shaloi. The end and the beginning is to him, and that's really the story that we see throughout the entire Megillus Esther, is that even though it seems like to be a story." That is just a, a a worldly a worldly occurrence, a uh, a a, a uh, political and and uh, royal drama that is playing out in the palace between the king's you know own personal life and his issues that he's got and his anger management and the various things that are occurring in his life, his love life. His marriage of his, you know, Esther and Vashti and and his friends and so on and so forth. It seems to be like a very, very, and then there's a plot of assassination and all these kind of just regular things that don't seem to have anything godly to it. And yet we know that that's the story of Megillah Esther. Megillah Esther is to see that this is really Hashem really doing it all. So someone pointed out to me something very, very special last week. You know the the current events that are going on is a is a is a war going on between two Vladimir's, Vladimir Putin and there is Vladimir Zelensky. I know they spell it differently, but it's still uh, the same name. So someone pointed out to me, um, and thank you for that. That if you look on Google the name Vladimir and see what the essence of the name is, is that the the Vladimir means the supreme ruler. It means a great, powerful, or I forgot exactly the different words they use, but it means this enormous ruler. <laughs> so, you know, if the sages were said about Achashverosh, that it's referring to God, who is the beginning and the end belongs to him, and they read it into his name. So as we're standing right now and we're seeing a drama unfolding of a Vladimir, we recognize that the real story is on both ends, both the hero- heroism of Vladimir Zelensky and the total madness of Vladimir Putin all these are powerful, godly. It's all one God who's actually triggering and bringing all this out. And as I believe, it's the last and final checkmate which Hashem is playing with the world to bring the world into uh, the the, the uh, to reveal Mashiach Tzedkenu. This is it's fun, and this is the Vayihibi May Vladimir that's taking place right now. And we have to be very cognizant. We have to be very aware of that. And when we recognize that, when we realize that, then we can kind of, you know, we can drop the anxiety and recognize that even though it sounds scary and we have to pray and do whatever we can for to help each other out, 
in these times, but the understanding, the, the as we said earlier, as long as we lean and we put our trust in Hashem, we are fine. God's got our back. And this is really only him that's doing it. You know, this, the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, right, when, the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when, when Saddam Hussein was threatening the Jewish people in the land of Israel, the Rebbe was referring to the Midrash, where the Midrash says that when the Jewish people see a, when they, when they, uh, that in the end of days, there's going to be a, 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 um, a skirmish. There's, there's going to be a war, a threatening war between, between the king of uh, Persia, which is Iran, and, and the king. And there's going to be a great, a fear and the world is going to be terrified of a nuclear Iran, something like that. And they coming running to, to, to say, where should we go? And Hashem says to the Jewish people, don't be afraid. Everything that is happening in this world, all this, all this um, um, scare, all this threat, all this, it's all I'm doing it only for your sake. Because the time is the words the Rebbe was constantly bringing from the Medrash. My children, don't be afraid. I am doing all of this. I'm doing it just for your sake and to bring about the final redemption. And if that was said then, there's no question that this applies to the situation right now. The Eberster is bringing about the Giyula and what we're watching. So what do we do? We have to strengthen ourselves in our Yiddishkeit. We have to strengthen ourselves in our connection to Hashem. Purim needs to be a lesson for us that in, instead of thinking that it's this one or that one and start blaming it and trying to figure it out and all the various different things. So there's a very amazing teaching just on this idea because we're watching what happened. Putin went to war, trying to figure out what in the world's going on in his head. How did this happen? So the Hassam Sofer, one of the great uh, teachers, in uh, to live 250 years ago, lived a great Hungarian rabbi. So the Chassam Sofer writes that the biggest miracle is the opening part of the Megillah. It wasn't the days of Achashverosh, and it relates to the story of Achashverosh's wild party. He made a party for 180 days. And at that point, you know, he made the party, and then after that, he followed it with another party for seven days. And on the last day of the party, he gets drunk and he kills his wife, Ash. So the Hassam Sofa says, that is the greatest, like that, that part of the Megillah is like where the whole miracle is at. He says, everything else that happens in the Megillah is not, is not so amazing. The fact that in the end, that God, first of all, the most important, that Hashem listened to the prayers of the Jewish people. They took upon themselves a fast for three days and God listened. Well, <laughs> who is like God that whenever we call out Hashem, Hashem is always there listening to us. So that's not 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 as shocking. That is something that we we know is there. That when we Hashem even listens to the people of Nineveh, who were non-Jews, and they were in a state of trouble, and God sent Yonah to help tell them to repent. That when they repented, God revoked his decree. Or the fact that later Achashverosh um, decided to kill Haman and change things around, we can explain it. You know, after all, he realized his wife was Jewish and he loved her very much. On her behalf, he did it. He says, but the real power of the miracle was as follows. He says, Ahasuerus made a party for 180 days. And during that party, he behaved himself very nicely. He was, he was, he was, he was entertaining his guest and everything went down smoothly. There was no issues at all. And then he made another seven-day party. And he was almost out of the woods. It would have been like perfect. It would have been the perfect celebration for Ahasuerus. And then it just happens on the last day of the party. He falls into a drunken stupor 
and he starts acting insanely. Literally, he becomes, he becomes, he becomes, he becomes, he, he, he goes nuts. And he calls for, uh, for Vashti and he wants to like uh, insult her in front of everybody. He wants to parade there in a very unbefitting for a queen. Now, Vashti on her end would have done it. But obviously what happened to her was that she, you know, she broke out in her, uh, in a rash or whatever it was. And, and she wasn't in a state where she could do that. But the idea the idea that, and then what happened was that Vashti too was suddenly acted in a very strange way. She she insulted Achashverosh, as the Midrash tells us. She spoke to him and said, you're a stable worker. Who do you think you are to call me? And to... So that too doesn't make any sense. I mean, she knows he's the king. He has been behaving all along all this party and suddenly he acts in such an insane way. So what do you see over here? So here, as you see, is where the hearts of kings, where you can see that God puts a cuckoo-ness into a leader, and this is all to save the Jewish people in order to have Vashti executed. And that's the, that really was the, the greatest moment of the miracle, was the opening story of the Megillah. Everything is going so picture-perfect. Everything, Achashverosh's party is so wonderful. He's getting such good press coverage. Everything is so wonderful. And in the last second... He acts in such, an, in such a ridiculous manner. And that's where God is doing what he's doing. And if you can just look at that, at what we're seeing right now, like Putin has been kind of <laughs> doing his thing in Russia for who knows when, for how long. And suddenly, you know, at a, <laughs> like who would have expected what he's doing is suddenly to throw the world into such a, for such a spin to go and attack Ukraine, in the end, he's being isolated. In the end, he is, it looks like he's in an absolute, you know, lose-lose situation. Like, why could this be happening? What is, what's, what's happening over here? And, 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 and the idea that the, God throws into Zelensky's head to stand up. I mean, does anybody have an explanation how Zelensky's still alive? How it's possible that he survived such, 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 so much attempts to assassinate him? And we know that the Russians are very good at this. And the fact that he's still alive and that he even decided to put himself out completely and that the whole world. So you can see clearly that God is the one staring up this pot. This is all irrational. The point over here is that it's irrational behavior on all parties and everybody that's involved over here. So it's literally a Megillah Esther story. But at that moment, we also see a, another element. And that relates to what we were saying before. How the, God is there for the Jewish people, even in a moment, even in a moment of when we're not at our, in our, at our best, even when we're in a pretty fallen state. So let's take a look at, uh, at another point, and that is that this awesome, incredible miracle that happened right at the beginning of the Purim story, that was at the time that the Jewish people were actually, this before they did Shuvah. That's before they they gathered for three days and three nights. So they were in their lowly state. Not only that, at that very party, they were angry in God. So says the al Kaddish, one of the great uh, commentators of, 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 of Tanakh, who lived about 400 years ago in the city of Tzvah, Ramosha al So he writes that the, the enormity, the great story of Purim, is that we were talking about a time at 
that when did this happen? At the part, the sages say, why did the Jewish people deserve this threat of annihilation? It was because they joined Achashverosh's party. They went and they felt, instead of relying on God, they thought that Achashverosh would be their protector. And they went to his party. And that was considered a grave sin, as we've discussed many times. So at the very time that they are angering God, at that very party, Hashem is providing for them already. He's setting the stage. He's laying the groundwork for the miracle. Because he's already preparing the way, the path for, for Esther uh, to take over as the queen instead of Ashti. And this shows us the enormity of Hashem's love for the Jewish people. And that too is a very comforting thought. It's all to show us the same idea how God's relationship with the Jewish people is in a manner of an unbreakable bond. And that our existence is always in the forefront of Hashem's mind and in Hashem's heart. It's interesting that the Megillah it's called the Megillah, and um, there is a teaching from the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, who says that the word Megillah is the same letters as the word Higamel, which is a word that the Torah uses um, pertaining to Yitzchak, to Isaac. It, it says... Vayas uh, Avram that Avraham made Mishte Godel. He made a big a drinking party. on the day that Yitzchak was weaned from his nursing. Now uh, it's interesting. It uses the word Mishte Godel, a great drinking party. Now who else made a great drinking party? Achashverosh. Achashverosh also made a Mishte Godel. So Reb Levi Yitzchak, the Rebbe's father, connects the Mishta Gadol of Achashverosh to the Mishta of Yitzchak. Because he uses the same words, Mishta Gadol, a great drinking feast. I don't know if it mentions Mishta Gadol anywhere else in Tanakh. I'm not sure if it's the only places, but it might be the only places. So we draw a parallel between them. And what words does it say then? Beyond Higomel. Higomel is the same words as Megillah. And to make the, the connection stronger, Yitzchak lived the longest of all of our forefathers. He lived to 180. How long was Achashverosh's party? 180 days. That's the opening story of the Megillah. So here you see there is a connection between Yitzchak, Isaac, and the story of the Megillah. Now, he doesn't, this is what he says. Pertaining to us as I was thinking about this, What's the relationship? Yitzchak represents the idea of a miraculous people. Yitzchak is the first Jewish, the first Jewish boy. The, the first Jew born a Jew. Abraham and Sarah are considered the first Jews, but they weren't born Jewish. They're like the converts. But Yitzchak is born a Jew. And because Yitzhak is born a Jew, he's considered the first. He represents his life, in a sense, is symbolic and manifests the life of the Jewish people. And Yitzhak means laughter, because the, which is, comes from amusement. 
and amusement comes from something that's not normal. When you see something that's abnormal, you laugh. So when we watch the Jewish people's survival, it's an abnormal thing. We see Yitzhak himself was born in laughter because it was impossible for him to be born. So Yitzchak personifies a miracle. He is a living miracle. He's a walking miracle. Everybody who heard the promise of God and the people who saw Avram and Sarah getting older and older and older and reaching already 100 years old where it's impossible for them to have children, quietly in their heart laughed at God's promise. Even Sarah was laughing. That's how absurd and impossible it was. And yet Yitzchak was born. And, he's, and his bris milah is on the eighth day. Eight represents miracle. So what does, Avram, what does Avram, his father, do? On the day of the weaning of Yitzchak. What is the weaning of Yitzchak? Till then, Yitzchak was nursing. At that moment, Yitzchak stops nursing. If he stops nursing, what does that mean? He stops being cuddled by his mother. She's kind of letting Yitzchak out to be, walk out onto the street on his own. It represents the Jew taking his first steps outside amongst a world that wants to destroy him. A Jew walking down in the midst, as the sages say regarding the Jewish people's survival, a sheep among 70 wolves. One little sheep among 70 wolves. What are the chances for its survival? It's impossible. Yitzchak is making his little, his, his, he's walking out. And what does Avram do? He gathers all the leaders of the generation, which represent all the kings, all the rulers of his time, including, it says, Og Melech Abashan came to that party. And he was laughing at that little Yitzchak. And he said, with my little pinky, I can crush him. What does Avram think? This is the great nation coming from him. With my little pinky, I can crush him. And God is laughing and God says, his grandson will take you down. As we know, Moshe hit Og and, and killed Og when he came out, when, when Jews were ready to go into the land of Israel. But that was the symbol of that Mishta. The Mishta Gadol that he made was the idea, the concept and the idea that Avram was showing the people. He was demonstrating Yitzhak in front of them, the being of laughter. And he basically revealed Yitzchak, who Yitzchak is, and that's what Megillah is. Megillah is the reading that reveals the eternity, reveals the supernatural existence of the Jewish people. And where is it revealed? Right at the beginning of the Megillah, at the party of Achashverosh, where Achashverosh makes a party for 180 days, which is the lifetime of Yitzchak. In that story, which seems to be just uh, another story of stories. And yet it's revealed how that entire party and everything that was going on was all because of an event. Achashverosh goes and he spends probably billions of dollars. If you see what, the, what, what, it, what it mentions, he spends a fortune on this party. He hires contractors and builders and, and, and party decorators and, and entertainment from the entire world. Everybody's coming to this party. And yet it has one purpose. What's the purpose? What's going to happen on the last day of that party? Vashti is, is dismissed. And that's the divine uh, uh, intervention. But what does Hashem do? He makes Achashverosh cuckoo at that last moment and does his thing. And that's just why? Because there's an inner interest over there. There's the saving of the Jewish people. That's the enormity of the story. 
And that's the Megillah. And that's Higamel Es Yitzchak. That's the story of the Jewish survival throughout history. It's God's people. It's Hashem revealing his, his presence, his truth, and the truth of his promise. And therefore, we get to the, the main story of the Megillah. The main story of the Megillah Esther, as the Lubavitcher Rebbe says. And this I spoke many times. And I'm sure everybody over here heard this idea many times. But I think in the current setting and after everything I've said till now, I think it has a certain, um, maybe it can be seen a little stronger. And that is the Rebbe says a very interesting thing about the story of the Megillah, the main lesson of the Megillah. And that is that on the one hand, the time preceding the the decree that that was made against Israel, against the Jewish people at that time, against the Yehudim. Um, it was a time when, on 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 the from the from the um, from the mind of the predictors or or, or those uh, analysis experts who would speak about the state of the Jewish people at that time, if they would give like the state of the union, the state of Israel, they would have said that the Jewish people are in a very good place, in a very good place. Our security was really, really good at that time. It's probably the best in all of Jewish history. Why? Because Mordechai was a minister in the king's palace. Mordechai, so obviously he's a man who can represent the Jewish people. See, Jews were in exile. There was full of anti-Semitism going on. And here, one of their own was appointed to, a, a, uh, to an important position. Mordechai was sitting at the entrance of the That's why he was able to overhear that plot to kill the, the Achashverosh. He was an important person. But that wasn't enough. Esther became the queen. Esther is a Jewish girl. When in Jewish history did we have that the superpower, the king of the world during the time of exile, the king of the world's wife is Jewish. So at that time, the Jewish people were in a state where they can kind of relax and feel that their existence is as secure as can be. Still, they they're kind of have insurance. They are good. Until then, they were always worried and scared. But at that time, they can say, you know what? Naturally, we are in a very, 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 very good place. We have strong footing. We're standing on, on solid ground. That would have been and should have been their, their, uh, their, they could have had peace of mind. And what does God show them? That it's precisely at the moment that they think that naturally they are in the most secure state, the carpet is swept out from under their feet. Never, ever in the history of the world was there such a threat and such a danger to the entirety of the Jewish people. Achashverosh controlled the entire world, and they were all caught in the noose. No one could escape. One of the things that I was mentioned yesterday that we that Achashverosh had over all the other anti-Semites and all the other attempts, let's say the Nazis and Hitler, his name be blotted out. Um, you know, he succeeded in killing six million Jews. 
but it was the Nazis, it was the German army that was coming and trying to kill them. The Nazis did not have control over the entire world. They wanted world dominance, but they didn't. Sadly, in all the countries that they came, they were the ones seeking out the Jews. Now, who were the ones seeking out the Jews? It was the Nazis. And the Nazis got a lot of collaboration by the various different local governments, which is a truth that needs to be told, obviously. And they helped out, but it still was not a local, an official local affair. In other words, maybe in Germany, maybe in, in, in Hungary at the end, the, the, the official government joined the Nazi government in certain places as well. But it wasn't like, so it was the Nazis trying to do whatever they were doing. When it came to Achishverosh, he was actually the ruler and the king and the authority over all local governments. When he sent his letters out that there should be a massacre, a pogrom and a massacre and a day of, a day of, of annihilation for the Jewish people, the letter was that every government should be prepared for a cert for that day. In other words, every every army was going to do a military a military operation with their own armies, with their own police force, with their own military, and it was all going to take place on the same day. So there was literally nowhere to run, and no one could protect you because it would have been a war of everybody against the Jewish people in one time. So there was never, ever a state when Israel was in such a... Literally, we came to the brink, literally, of extinction, just like that. If not for the miracle of Purim. So watch, see the amazing thing. We were in, living in a moment of time when we should have, based on the experts, the big mavinim, uh, uh, if you call them, the great uh, uh, um, social scientists who are looking at things based on, on data, on, on their scientific data, you should have told the Jewish people you can relax. If there's ever a time that you're okay, it's now where, where, where you're fine. You got the queen there, you got this in, everything is fine. And yet it was exactly at that moment that we fell into the, that we were so threatened that we were in our dangerous, we came the closest to annihilation. So what does that tell you? That tells us that our survival has nothing to do with natural means. And let's take a look at the way we navigated ourselves out, the way we managed to, the way we, the way the miracle came about and the salvation came about. God's salvation came about. Some might argue, well, it's exactly what we did. We went ahead and we used Esther and Esther really saved us. But the Rebbe says, pay attention to the story. Esther's pull would have been meaningless if all she was using was her political muscle. If Mordechai and Esther would have sat down immediately and caused an emergency meeting and immediately sat down to advocacy to see who Mordechai's friends are in the government, he must have had some friends to pull in all the, all the congressmen and all the senators and all the leaders and all the noblemen or anybody that you ever did a favor and to send and bribe this one and bring in that one and try to pull it in and Esther is going to go. It would have been a miserable failure and every single Jew would have died. What did Esther and, and Mordechai do? As the Megillah tells us, immediately they sent and called for a massive return to God. In other words, the understanding, the clear understanding that our existence is supernatural. Our existence is dependent on Hashem and on Hashem only and nothing else in the world will save us. And in order to demonstrate it clearly, here's the, here's the famous teaching of the Rebbe, but I think it's so, so, so crucial 
to each and every one of us to realize what does Esther, Esther has to demonstrate that she's not putting her, 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 her reliance on Basar Vadam, on flesh and blood, on Achashverosh, and on her, and on her um, 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 grace, and on her appeal in Achashverosh's eyes. Because what Esther did at that moment was totally detrimental to her appeal in Achashverosh's eyes. She told Mordechai to, to decree a fast upon the Jewish people three days and three nights. And then she added these words, and me and my maidservants will, oh, I and my maidservants will also fast. And then I will come to the king. So Achashverosh is approaching the king after a three-day fast. We're talking about 24, 24, 24. What is it? 72 hours of fasting. <laughs> imagine what that does to a person's face. Esther, who is now going to meet the king, imagine what she looked Let's say even she broke her fast right before. Let's say she did that. I don't know. But still, imagine what, it'll take a few days to get back to yourself, to get back to your color. To Imagine the effects of a three-day fast. And this is her chance. The reason he loves her, it's clearly stated, was the reason he fell madly in love with her was because of her looks. It says she came and she found favor in his eyes. It was her grace. It was something about her that completely captured his heart. Now, he's a madman, right? As we know, Achishverosh is a madman. You never know with him. You know, he had his wife killed in a drunken stupor just like that, even though she was the daughter. And she actually, Vashti was the one who led him to the throne. So the entire power that he had is from Vashti, yet in a moment of, 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 of lunacy, he kills her. So Esther knows that how, how you know, weak her position is. And, but, but she has one thing. She has her looks. She has her attraction. And she can capture his heart. So three days she should have been sitting in the beauty parlor. Three days she should have been preparing herself to really look like crazy. And there should be no way that he shouldn't be, he'd be able to ignore her. And she does the exact opposite. And the answer is because Esther knew that the salvation of the Jewish people is coming from Hashem and not through the natural means. Even though they did need to do something naturally, why didn't they just sit and wait for a, for a lightning strike to kill Haman and Ahasuerus in one swoop and then everything would have been good? They could have waited for that. The answer is it was the time of exile. It was the time of exile when God is hiding. And if God is hiding, Hashem wants us to do something in the realm of nature. Hashem is camouflaging his miracles. It, even when he's providing a miracle, it's going to be within a natural setting. Not going to be an open miracle like Passover, which was a time of redemption. So like we know, in the time of exile, we have to work for a living. A person can't sit back. If, if you take the contrast, for instance, just to understand this. Um, if in the, in the Midbar, when the Jewish people were in the 40, 40 years in the desert, God, that was a time of openness, revealed miracle. So at that time, if a Jew starts running an Amazon business in the desert, would that be something that would be in assistance to his, you know, imagine that, you know, he's, he's a Jew. He wants to run, to run some geschäft and he wants to get something going in order to enhance his parnasa. Would it have helped him? Would it have been a, 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 the right thing to do? No, it probably wouldn't have. It probably would have, not only would it have gained, he would have lost because at that time, God was literally spoon-feeding us. Every day, he was sending us money from heaven, and God said, please don't help. Let me take care of you. That was that time. But during the time of exile, uh, it is important for us to run our businesses, whether it's an Amazon business or this kind of business or that kind of business, whatever profession it is. We need to do things in order to, to um, provide for ourselves a living. 
But at the same time, we have to realize that that providing for our living is only the all the natural means and natural resources and the various things that we do is all super, super, super external. It's only a garment. It does not carry in any way the weight. It, that's not the source for our sustenance and our survival. The blessing we receive is God's blessing. And therefore, the first and foremost thing we need to always do every single day in order to secure a living is to find favor in God's eyes. And to find favor in God's eyes, you find favor in God's eyes by davening, with a minion, by learning Torah, by doing mitzvahs, by connecting to Hashem. That's how you find favor and being honest in business and following God's instructions. And even if, you're even if that means that your vessel might not be so perfect, why? Because you could have gone to work two hours earlier and now you're only coming later because you spent some time story study, you spent some time davening. And if you're going to save every penny and reinvest it, you might do better than if you're squandering your money for tzedakah. But that's not the way a Jew thinks and that's not the way God works with, with the Jewish people. We recognize the more tzedakah we give, the more we invest in our relationship with God, we, that's where the miracle comes from. We need to do something as an external garment for God to hide his blessing. So we do something, but we don't have to be mahadir, which means we don't have to make sure that that, that which we're doing is so, so. We, don't, we shouldn't put our mental and emotional energy into it. Our mental and emotional energy should go into our into our connection with Hashem. And then we see enormous success in the little bit that we do. And that's the story of Esther. And at that time, it was so crucial because at that time was exactly, this was the issue. The Jewish people at the story of Achashverosh were, initially they went to his party because they felt that he was going to be their benefactor. He's going to be their benefactor. He's going to be their protector. And the reason, and again, the, 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 the decree came upon them exactly at the moment when they were seemingly the most secure because God was showing them that it's not this or that that is going to shield, shield, shield you. It's I am your protector. The same is when it came the time. So when, the, when we had to turn it all around, it required a very strong statement that our hopes are on Hashem. We will do something, but that is so, 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 so secondary and unimportant in compared to where the miracle is really coming from. So I saw another, another very interesting thing supporting the same idea. When the sages tell us about Mordechai, about who Mordechai is, the sages say, Ish Yehudi Habira. There was a Jewish man in Shushan Habira, the capital Shushan, Ushmoy Mordechai, his name was Mordechai, Ben Yoir, the son of Yoir, Ben Shimi, the son of Shimi, Ben Kish, the son of Kish. And the sages say, why did we give such a such an, a, an elaborate description of Mordechai when we're introducing Mordechai? So they say, because every word over here is, is, is bringing forth the qualities and the greatness of Mordechai and how Mordechai was able to say to the Jewish people, how what an, an incredible person he is. So Yoir means the light. So they say, because... Mordechai illuminated the light of the Jewish, illuminated the words of Sheheir and Neim Yisrael. He illuminated the Jewish eyes, Bitfilasa, in his prayer. When they saw Mordechai praying, they, their eyes got a twinkle again. They knew they will be okay because Mordechai was praying. Ben Shimi, why do they call him Ben Shimi? 
because Shimi means Shema Kale, God heard his prayer. Ben Kish, why is he called the son of Kish? Because Kish comes from the word knocking, because he banged on God's doors until God opened up and he provided the miracle. Okay, so we're seeing the incredible power of Mordechai and we're listing all the powers of Mordechai. So my wife's great, 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 -grandf great grandfather, his name was Ramosha Greenwald. He was a great rabbi in the city of, uh, of Chust in uh, Hungary, known as the, by his monumental work called the Aruga Sabaisa. So in his, in his um, commentary on Purim, one of his teachings is a very special teaching. He says, well, in the tractate Mesechtes Menachos, Daf Samache, page 65, the, 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 the Talmud says that in, the Talmud brings a Pasuk in Divrei Hayamim. Divrei Hayamim is a, um, is Chronicles. Over there it mentions a person called Balshin, a fellow by the name of Balshin. So the Talmud says, who is this Balshin? This Balshin is Mordechai. Balshin is Mordechai. Why is he called Balshin? So Balshin is from the word Lashon. Because Mordechai was fluent in 70 languages. That's why one of the reasons he was able to overhear the, the plot to kill the Kilachajver is because he was fluent in 70 languages. So he asks, if we're searching now to find all the qualities of Mordechai in this verse, someone who's fluent in the 70 languages, so they, it should have mentioned that as part of it. Mordechai Habalshin. Let's say it should have said Mordechai Habalshin, Ben Yoir, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish. How come it doesn't say Balshin as one of his qualities? So he says very simple. He, he, he introduces it by first another question. What does it say Ish Yehudi? There was a, a Jewish man in Shushan. There were many Jewish people in Shushan. Shushan was filled with Jewish people. Why did it mention Ish Yehudi? So he says, no, in a sense, maybe there was only one Jew in Shushan. The reason is that was a time at the end of the exile where Jews felt that in order to acclimate themselves amongst the nations, it's better that they hide their Jewishness. You know, be a Jew inside, but don't be a Jew outside. Don't let the, the non-Jews see your kippah. Don't let them see your payas. Don't let them see your tzitzis, your beard, whatever. Don't dress like a Jew. Don't be so Jewish. Try to hide it a little bit. That's how the Jews felt at that time. Can we blame them? They were in exile. There was so much rampant anti-Semitism. Hide. Mordechai knew that his, Mordechai knew that our connection to God doesn't come by us hiding our, Jude our Judaism. Quite on the contrary. A Jew being a proud Jew on the street. So it's really, Ish Yehudi, there was one Jew who wore his talus out, who wore his sitzes, who walked with his tefillin on the street, wasn't embarrassed and wasn't ashamed to be a Jew. Oya B'Shushan. Ushmoy Mordechai. And therefore, when it, the, he says, when the decree came, there were many people who approached Mordechai and said, you speak 70 languages. So you can actually start a campaign of diplomacy. You can reach out like Zelensky is doing. He's calling England and he's calling this one and he's calling that one for aid. He's reaching out to amass an, an amazing and unbelievable coalition. Mordechai should have made a major coalition and called everybody. Use your 70 languages. You speak the language, speak. You have connections, political pull. See who you've ever done a favor to. Get it all together. That's what you're going to use in order to. On the, on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, what do we call it? Um, on the front, on the um, diplomacy front. 
and see if we can get something going. What does the verse say? The verse doesn't mention one word about that because that's not what Mordechai did. Mordechai went into the street. Yitzhak Zohar gave a big cry and he woke the Jewish people to do tshuva. And what did he do? Ben Yair, he illuminated the eyes of the Jewish people with his prayer. Ben Shimi, God heard his prayer. Ben Kish, he knocked on the doors of heaven. That's where he got a salvation. Because Mordechai knew the truth, and Esther also knew the truth, the Jewish survival. Weaning of Yitzchak, putting Yitzchak out of the world. We are Yitzchak. We are a miraculous people. Our existence is miraculous. Our survival is miraculous. It's not based on this and on that. So when we come back to Vayhibi Meach when we come back to Vayhibi Me Vladimir, when the world is, seems to be at the brink of a nuclear confrontation, when we're looking and seeing what's going on, we know that what? That Israel, the Jewish people, are secure. And the Abishter is going to protect us. And the way we are going to survive this and all the other craziness that's been going around for the last couple of years in these volatile times is our stability as Jews, our connection to the Abishter, our prayer, our, our, our increasement of tzedakah, and our awaiting for Mashiach, and our preparation for the Giyula. This is, this is what's needed from us. Our understanding that everything is all external. The real story is Hashem is, unroll, is, is rolling out the third temple. That's really what's going on. How, what, where, and when, what exactly are the final moves? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But we do know that we are there. And what we can do right now is literally, Papyrus, if I saw some other final teaching I want to share with you, um, from the Tferesh Lema, the great Radomska Rebbe, the Tferesh Lema. And he says these words. I just want to find it so I can read it inside. Oh. It says, when Mordechai sent the second letters, it says, that the Jewish people should be prepared for this day. Which means that they should, be, they should take up arms and be ready to fight their enemies on the day that they wanted to kill them. They should be ready to go on a defense war and then and do what they needed to do. In the end, they, they were successful. 75,000 they killed of their enemies, and they triumphed. And the big miracle of Purim happened. Not one Jew was killed. But he translates, that we should be prepared for this day. Which day is this referring to? The day of the coming of Mashiach. He says, this is something that we should be thinking about now. Every year, Purim, we should hear these words. Any second the Geula Shalem is coming, any second we are going to stand face to face with Mashiach Tzadkenu. I have to ask myself, what am I doing, going back to what I said in the beginning, to be able to look Mashiach in the face? I got to make sure myself that I'm ready. And if I have certain things in my life that still need repair, we don't have, we're running out of time. Repair it now. Do tshuva now. The good news is, I mentioned earlier, we're in God's hands. The good news is that God is our friend and God loves us. And if what is needed is tshuva, if what it is needed is strengthening of connection, we can do that at any given moment. We just have to decide to do it. In other words, not out of our hands. 
The situation is not out of our hands because of all that is needed is our connection to Hashem, the connection to Hashem we can do. And right now, what is our connection that we need to do with Hashem is to prepare ourselves with absolute faith for the coming of Mashiach. To be in a state of readiness. He says over here, a person should think to himself that now that Nisan, he's talking about particularly that Purim is right before Nisan. And in Nisan, we know, but Nisan Nigalu, and Nisan we were redeemed. And the future redemption is also going to be in the month of Nisan. So in the month of, of, of Adar, we should be thinking the whole time, I have to prepare for Nisan because Mashiach is coming this Nisan. And he adds, I got to make sure that I don't do anything that I should derail the redemption. So I want to add to that, that the Lubavitcher Rebbe said that today's days, we're not going to derail the redemption anymore. Whatever, the redemption process is already on a roll. But personally, we need to make sure that we are ready. Especially this year when it's a Shemitah year and the sages tell us that the end of Shemitah Mashiach comes. There's ne- <laughs> the, set, the setting is so, so, the, the stage is set for the Geula like, like never before. So let's be ready. Let's prepare ourselves. Let's be joyous. Let's be happy. Let's be confident. Let's know that uh, those who've hoped for Mashiach will not be ashamed, will not be rejected, will not be dejected. We will see the Geula. We will see the redemption. And Purim this year will definitely bring about Great Yeshua's salvations for the Jewish people, for the world, and let it open up the door for the ultimate salvation that we are about to see, the eternal salvation for all of humanity, and let it be now. Amen v'amen.